0: Good evening, everybody. It must be a couple days after the holidays are over. So, uh, I got a memo that I know the series is moodiness, but I've been assigned the topic of overcoming loneliness, which is obviously a mood as well. And I was thinking about it as we were worshiping. And by the way, I just love worshiping with you folks here at Lifeway, whether it's young adults or the sanctuary crew. On Sunday mornings, I just love worshiping God. And the way it's not just performing and throwing out a few songs, we are getting into it. I thank God for that. But while we were worshiping, I'm thinking, (laughs) I'm going to get up here, 69-year-old man, and I'm going to lecture a bunch of 18 to 29-year-olds on dating and marriage and relationships. That's kind of like asking your grandma to set up your new iPad or your iPhone, right? It's like... No, it's usually the other way around. Hey, you know, grandma says, hey, can you do you know how to fix this? But but even though I'm 69 years old in the body, I am not that in my soul and my spirit. I'm a young man, and, my, and beating in this chest is the heart of an 18-year-old. You know what I'm saying? I'm young at heart. And, uh, and I stay engaged in ministry. I stay engaged in ministering to people, counseling people, mentoring people, uh, praying for people, uh, teaching people. So even though I'm older, it keeps me connected to the current mores and what's going on in our, in our culture. And so uh, if you give me a chance, I think you might leave here tonight uh, concluding that I might have a few things to say. Um, on the November the 24th, 2018, which is a little over a year ago, my high school class my, uh, had their 50th reunion. Whew. So my wife and I went down to uh, Bristol, PA, which is in Lower Bucks County, about 15 miles northeast of Philly. And uh, they were predicting some bad weather that day. So we left really early in the event that, you know, traffic slowed down on the turnpike and stuff. So we got there about an hour before it was supposed to start and we go into the venue and there's only two other people there, I'm assuming is a husband and a wife, people about my age. So I'm figuring it's gotta be a classmate that I don't recognize. And uh, we walk in the room, and from the back of the room where this lady was setting up uh, table favors, she said, Steve Sable, do you know that you were my first boyfriend? (laughs) Awkward. For two reasons. My wife's standing right next to me, and we never talked about this woman, who I still don't know yet. She said, I am Marie Colehouse. Now, the name I remembered, I remembered Marie because our our small town, you could go to uh, kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, and high school with all the same people pretty much. That's the kind of town it was. She said, Yep, you were my first boyfriend. But the second awkward moment in that was that I don't ever remember being her boyfriend, you know? But then she said, We were in fourth grade. We were nine years old and you came to school with a donut and you invited me over to your table to share your donut. She said, I knew at that moment, it was love at first sight. I mean, think about it. I'm pretty proud of myself at this point, right? So nine-year-old sharing his donut with a yucky girl, (laughs) you know, I don't remember that, right? She said, but it didn't last. She said, the following week, you walked in the classroom, and I was just looking for you every time you walked in, and our eyes met, and I smiled, and you went. Yeah, wasn't really good at relationships back then. How many of you uh, are on Twitter or know what I mean by, I know you know what I mean by Twitter. How many of you tweet? Raise your hand. You tweet? Do tweeting? No? You? Okay. Well, anybody know what Twitter is? Right. I have a Twitter account. I have no idea what's on it because I'm never there. I do have it linked up to my Facebook uh, page, so sometimes what's on my Facebook page winds up in Twitter. But, but let's get some dating tips from people on Twitter. How about that? Sound like a good idea? And these are little ones I just pulled off the Internet in preparation for tonight. One from a guy named Christopher Hudspeth. He said, a good way to get to know your date is to ask about her first pet, favorite movie, and mom's maiden name, and then log in and read all her emails. Randy Lawson tweets, call me traditional, but marriage should stay between a woman afraid of being alone and a man who finally caves after years of her pressure. One we tw- <laughs> uh, get some preaching coming this way tonight, I can tell. This one Twitter user goes by the moniker, follow me online, it says 75% of your time in a relationship is spent eating pizza and saying the word Babe. Mary Charlene said 90% of a relationship is figuring out where to eat. The same Mary Charlene said, nothing like filling out a dating profile to make you realize how boring you are. Trevor writes or tweets, right now several billion people are, are not dating you. How rude is that? Jamie Woodham offers a dating tip where he says, put your arm around her then your other arm, complete the tackle, fourth down now, they have to punt. Wait, this might be football. (laughs) Brian Garr tweeted, relationships are like marathons, which are also stupid. (laughs) Neil Brennan writes or tweets, the dating process is basically just guys pretending that they like to leave their house. Simon Barrett tweeted after apparently getting dumped by a girl he tweets, yo girl, are you a zero APR loan? Because I don't really understand your terms and you keep saying you have no interest. The summary of all that is this message is about God's will to help you overcome loneliness and give you some keys to finding a mate. All the way back in the book of Genesis chapter two, verse 18, God says this. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. So built in the original design was an understanding that we were created for community and to interlink with other people. That is not easy in our culture because we've been wounded and we've been pushed back enough where building relationships is not a good or not an easy deal. Ecclesiastes says in chapter 4 that two are better than one because they have a good return for the labor. But in verse 12, uh, verse 10 rather, it says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are really in trouble. So all—so we, we, we have a problem or we have a challenge or we have a conundrum or we have a whatever. You know, we have this inner desire to not be alone and to interact with other people. But then, we have this other side that is afraid to do that, and maybe doesn't know how to do that. And we're going to look into that tonight. I want to open up by showing you two clips from a movie that more than likely some of you have seen. It was called Castaway, and it came out about, uh, well, gosh, 20 years ago now, 2000. And this is survive. How many have seen Castaway with Tom Hanks? So about half of you. The rest of you, I don't know what you've been doing with your life, but apparently. So, Castaway was a 2000 survival drama co- starring Tom Hanks as a guy named Chuck Nolan, who was an executive for the FedEx Corporation, and he was in love with Kelly Freer, Freer's, the love of his life. He is summoned by FedEx to Malaysia. To fix a problem. And while flying there, the plane crashes in a violent storm in the Pacific Ocean. And he escapes as the only survivor, a survivor from the sinking plane. And he's saved in an inflatable life raft, but he loses the emergency locator transmitter. He clings to the life raft, loses consciousness, and after floating all night, he washes up on land. And when he awakens, he explores an island and soon discovers that it is uninhabited no human beings. While stranded on that island, he is desperate for human contact. You don't really know how much you, miss, you, you, you need that until it's gone, and then you miss it. So uh, uh, a Wilson volleyball washes up on shore in its original box. It was supposed to be a Christmas present for somebody's grandson, and he was trying to make fire, and in the process, he wounded the palm of his hand, and it got all bloody. And he went to pick up the ball, and he saw his Palm print in the form of blood on the ball. And he begins to imagine, I can create a companion for me out of this. Watch this scene from *Gastaway*. There is his buddy, Wilson. What's interesting, for four years, it's the only relationship that Chuck Nolan will have is in his volleyball friend, Wilson. He finally figures out, Chuck Nolan does, a way to get past the breakers with his makeshift raft so he can get out into the open water and pick up on some of the ocean currents with the hopes of finding a sea lane where maybe a ship would come by and eventually rescue him because he knows on the island no one more than likely will ever find him. He finally gets past the breakers. He has Wilson tethered to the raft with some remnants of an old cassette tape. That's kind of like string and, you know, and... There was a violent storm that ensued and when he wakes up in the morning, he realizes that Wilson became untethered from his raft and drifted away, but he drifted so far away that Chuck can see him, but he knew that if he swam to rescue Wilson, they would have enough time and a way to get back to the raft and he would drown. Watch the scene. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! 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 <laughs> uh. i <coughs> to a volleyball, but the inner yearning to be heard and understood by another human being was so incredibly strong that he created an imaginary friend out of a volleyball that washed up on shore, and after spending four years together having only conversations obviously one way with a volleyball, he's grieving like his mother died. It's amazing. Just to illustrate the fact, we were created for community. We were created to connect and intimate levels with other human beings. In fact, here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, give away your life and you'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. That should have been on the screen, by the way. And Jesus said, he was asked in Mark chapter 6 by a Pharisee, what's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy mind, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. Ah, but it's one commandment with two prongs emerging from it. The second one is likened to it in Mark chapter 6 or 1231. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. No commandment greater than these. Those of you who have your outlines, I want you to look. There's a pyramid there under the, uh, the first opening statement there, defining a healthy personality. We need to define healthy personality. So I've been meeting people at their point of greatest need for a lot of years, 42 years in ministry right now. soon to be 43. And, um... Sometimes I realize that what people, first of all, what everybody wants in a relationship is intimacy. And that comes in many forms, right? But we want intimacy. We want to be as close as we can get with the people that matter to us. And before we understand how to communicate well, before we understand how to resolve conflicts, if we do not have individual emotional health to start with, it's the bottom of the pyramid. It's what holds the others up. I was thinking today as I was praying and studying a little bit, if you invert this pyramid and put it on its point where the intimacy is, that it's not going to stand. It's going to fall over. It's a foundation. So let's talk about your personality for a moment. We're going to give you a real quick uh, quiz, test, whatever. And you're going to grade yourself. And all you got to do is check one of the uh, possible answers under each of the three questions. Don't overthink it. And by the way, you cheat on this. The only person you're cheating is yourself. Uh, The person sitting next to you doesn't need to see it, but just be honest with yourself. Your personality is healthy to the degree to which you deliberately look for the good in each person and each situation. Ask yourself the question then. I look for the good in people and situations all the time, most of the time, usually, rarely, almost never, never. Got to check one of those. Number two, your personality is healthy to the degree which you can freely forgive people who have hurt you in some way. How about you? I forgive people who have hurt me all the time, most of the time, usually, rarely, almost never, never. And number three, your personality is healthy to the degree to which you can get along easily with people of many different kinds of people, backgrounds. How, how are you doing with that one? I get along well with different kinds of people in different situations all the time, most of the time, act, usually, rarely, almost never, never. So, so that's kind of a, a gauge. Like, if I don't begin with an healthy me, so when Jesus said, love, love your neighbor as you are loving yourself. That's what he meant. Self-love is not self-aggrandizement. Self-love is not egotism. Self-love is not narcissism. Self-love is basically knowing who I am, how God made me, and I'm comfortable in my skin, and I know who I am in him, whose I am and who I am, and from that perspective, I am ready to love others well. Two of the most important questions you'll ever make in life. Number one, Will you give your life to Jesus Christ? I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Most of us come the life way here, and we have, we are all in our own varying ways and degrees striving to be followers of Christ. But but let's make it. Let's state the obvious right now. The most important decision you will ever make is: Will I give my life to Jesus Christ? Jesus said in Mark chapter eight, verse thirty-six. He said, "What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world?" but loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And we all should arrive at that place at some point in our lives that the Apostle Paul did when he wrote to the Philippians in chapter one, verse 21, where he said, for me to live is Christ. And to die, that's gain. But the most important, or not the most important scripture, the one I really want that God kind of zeroed my heart on and focused my heart on for this message tonight Is found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Now uh, I had to send in my notes uh, because of the vacation schedule and stuff pretty early. So there was kind of stuff that God was still building in this message, but I sent out what I already had. So I want you to write this down if you don't mind. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Just write that in the margin somewhere for future reference. Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, these five words. Especially in the context of loneliness and dating and marriage, you'd be hard pressed to find five words that are even more important. You are complete in Him. You're complete in Him. So, this whole Uh, idea of waiting for my knight in shining armor to come and rescue me, or looking for my damsel in distress, and and I feel so incomplete, and I'm looking for that person to complete me. I'm, I'm looking for the missing pieces of my jigsaw puzzle of life. Whatever corny metaphor you want to use, it's not healthy. You are complete in him with or without any other person. Now, uh, we'll get into that in a little bit later, but uh, how we can expand upon that. But when you start out from a position of neediness, right, it doesn't lead to good places. That's the first question. The second question is, will you get married? And if so, who will it be? Some of you sitting there saying, That's true. I'd like to know. <laughs> Any you get any word from the Lord, Sable? <laughs> no, not right now. Proverbs eighteen twenty two says this: He who finds a wife or husband finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. God's word says something three times in the Bible, once in the Old Testament, Genesis 2.24, and twice in the New Testament, once in Matthew 19.5, and these words actually fell from the lips of Jesus, and then from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5.31. Here's what it says. For this cause shall a man or a woman leave their father and mother and cleave to their spouses, and the two become one flesh. Marriage. We all want it. I can't say maybe we all, but most of us want it. Most of us are waiting for it. Most of us are figuring out how to get it, how to land a big one. But I wanna give you something that's pretty depressing up front because this is one of the good news, bad news deals. I'm gonna give you the bad news first, all right? To no one's surprise, marriage is in deep trouble in our society. I want you to consider these five statistics, all right? Number one, of all first marriages, only 25% both endure and are happy. Now, notice what that's saying. More than 25% of marriages endure, but there's the and happy at the end. I know some marriages that have endured, but he's got his bedroom, she's got her bedroom. He's got his TV, and she's got her TV. They may share, share a meal once a day. You know what I'm saying? That, that, to me, that's not happy. That's not the relationship that Nancy and I have. Number two, in over a, half of all marriages, at least one person has been married before, and in about 15% of all marriages, at least one person has been married three or more times. Number three, 20% of all first marriages fail within five years of the wedding date. 33% fail within 10 years, and 43% fail within 15 years. Number four, 70% of all persons in our society have been impacted by divorce, either the divorce of their parents or their own. And the last one, for you that are kind of like in the market (laughs) for a spouse, I want you to get this one, number five. While a majority of persons choose their marriage partners on the basis of appearance and chemistry, the fact is 75 to 80% of all chemistry evaporates within six to eight months unless the relationship is significantly undergirded by a deeper and more durable compatibility. Animal attraction. I mean, can I just, I'm just going to tell you how it was with Nancy and I, so... Uh, I moved two doors down from where she was raised. She was raised at 335 Walnut Street, and I moved in uh, just about a year and a half before we got married in 339, right on the corner. And we started showing interest in each other, started dating, started with a walk. I tried to kiss her. She said, I don't kiss on the first date. (sighs) It it was 1967, what can I say, you know? But... uh, (laughs) But I would get home from work and take a bath, she would get home and take a bath and we'd get changed into our you know our relaxing clothes, and I would you know have dinner with her, her mom would make dinner, and we'd sit around and we'd watch TV and hold hands you know, and we just couldn't stand to not be together. Then it was like 9 o'clock. We both got up like 5.30 for work. I said, we better get home and get to bed. We've got to get up early. Yeah, you're right. So we make our way out to the front porch, and there we're there for another 45 minutes saying goodbye, you know. And then it's like 10 o'clock. Now, you know, we really, really do need to get to bed. Yeah, you're right, sweetheart. So, so I jump off the porch, run two doors down to my house, run upstairs to my bedroom, pick up the phone and call her. And we talk for another 15 minutes. This is embarrassing. <laughs> and then we say, she would say, or one of us would say, it, it's, we really do need to get to bed. Yeah, you're right. You hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. We'll hang up together, okay, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. You're still there. How many years into our marriage do you think it was before that went away? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That that animal attraction, 70, 80% of it goes away within six to eight months. Listen, I don't want to scare you you out of getting married, but what I want to do is want you to approach it soberly and cautiously because you want to know why? It's on the screen now. Most of us were not taught how to choose a mate. It's all about chemistry and attraction. Which is how many relationships begin. I get that. Nancy and I met that summer. I was just seventeen. She was twenty-one. Sounds like an old rock song. Only the the younger girl, the girl's younger than the boy. But anyway, so we met sometime in the summer of nineteen sixty-eight, and I was seventeen. My birthday would have been in October. I would turn eighteen. She turned uh, twenty-two. In uh, November 1st is her birthday. So remember, 17, meet her, starting dating over the summer of 68. Her birthday in November, just three months later, I propose to her and give her a diamond. It cost me $450 back then, 51 years ago. So adjusted for inflation, that was like a four-five or $5,000 ring. It was like six months wages. I was making a thirty-five an hour. Extravagant love. Neither one of us were Christians when we got married. And the odds that we would be here today able to tell you that we're madly in love with each other. She's not only my wife and my bride, but she's my best friend, my confidant, my lover. And we just this past July celebrated our 50th anniversary. That is only by the grace of God because we didn't do it right. We didn't start out right. So we need to dispel a couple of myths when it comes to marriage, okay? Myth number one, God chooses your mate. I like to see it as guardrails instead of railroad tracks. Railroad tracks are interesting. You know, you can only go where the tracks are going, right? So if you would look at God choosing your mate, It'd be like a railroad track. You only have one way to go. Man, I kind of like that guy over there or that girl over there, but nope, train's going this way, right? But guardrails gives you boundaries, but you're free to travel between the two guardrails. God tells you what kind of person to choose and who you shouldn't choose, but it's your choice. Myth number two, there's only one person in the whole world that's chosen for you. Now, stop and think about that for a minute, okay? There are over 7 billion people on this planet. What if that one person for you, young lady, lives in Malaysia? What if the one person for you lives in Singapore? And you know what else? It would only take one person out of the billions of people in the world to make the wrong choice and marry the wrong person. It's like dominoes. You push that one over and the whole thing gets really messed up. No, I don't don't believe that. I don't believe that. But there are three basic rules to follow when searching for a mate. And we're going to look at that real quick. You must have spiritual compatibility. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? It's called, in the King James Version, it's referred to as an unequal yoke. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But let me tell you something from a pastoral perspective, 40, over 40 years of pastoral experience, meeting people at their point of greatest need, all right? The unequal yoke, in my opinion, applies to more than just believer-unbeliever. Not saying the Bible doesn't cover everything, I'm just saying my experience is that there are other things that can mess up a marriage. Like right now, I'm been mentoring a guy from Lifeway for about uh, two years now, and one of the conflicts he's facing in his marriage is a spiritual one. They both love Jesus. They both want to follow Jesus, but he wants to explore the supernatural and the spirit-filled lifet- lifestyle and gifts of the spirit and speaking in tongues. She wants nothing to do with that because she was raised in a family where the doctrine that was uh, taught her said that that is of the devil, and all of those gifts ceased hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And it breaks my heart on Sunday when I see him coming to Lifeway, not because he's coming, but he's not coming with his bride. She's going to another church. So so even in matters of pursuing God and how you pursue God and how you express your faith, make sure you are not unequally yoked together in that way as well. If you don't have spiritual oneness, you'll never have the emotional intimacy, the relational closeness, the sexual intimacy that God intends for you. How can you grow toward a close relationship with Christ if your partner is going another way? Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says this. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good works, good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. And before I move on to the second, let me just tell you right now that i am not a I'm not a staunch believer in missionary dating. You know what that means? It's like it's usually it's usually the girl that meets up with a guy that only comes to church because he wants to be with you, he's not hungry for God, and you're thinking, "Oh, I'll just get him there, you know. When I preached my first sermon at my first church on August the 10th, 1980, coming up on 40 years ago, uh, there was 15 people there that that Sunday morning, mostly elderly, discouraged, skeptical people. But there was one teenage girl there who was a daughter of one of the charter members, and, and this teenage guy. The only reason he was there, because he was hot for her. So what is missionary dating? It's basically this. You see it in your notes there. I'll alter him. Now, there's nothing, I'm not saying that doesn't work. Sometimes I'm just saying it's not always a safe bet. After seeing many marriages fail because of spiritual incompatibility, I can tell you that it's not worth it. Let me give you some, another statistic, all right? One out of every two and a half marriages eventually fail. Bad news. Good news. Marriages where a husband and wife pray together, attend church together, only one out of 1,105 marriages get a divorce. Here's the second thing you need. You must have life purpose compatibility. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Let me show you how that works out in practical ways. I was trying to think, it up, think up some imaginary, although very possible scenarios that might be affecting some people here tonight. Let's say you feel a call to some form of ministry, music ministry, evangelistic ministry, mission, missionary work, pastoral ministry, youth leader work, whatever, and you know that there's a very, really high chance that that ministry will, will more than likely require you to, require you to move around a bit during your career. That's you. Don't marry someone whose ambition is to build a successful business and stay in one area for their entire lives. You see how that works? And let's say you sense that your calling involves bringing many children into the world, raising up many godly generations. Uh, The 2010 U.S. census, Census revealed that the average size of a U.S. household, listen to this, is 2.58. Oh, did you ever meet a 5'8"? I'm not talking about five 5'8". .58. So, so my, my point is, don't marry someone who just wants the .58 if you want to raise up many godly generations. There has to be that life purpose compatibility. And if you sense that it's your calling to be a stay-at-home mom and live with less stuff if need be so you can raise your family, don't marry someone who wants you to launch your career so that you can afford bigger houses, fancier cars, and a vacation home down the beach. Life Purpose Compatibility. Look what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1. So, my dear Christian friends, companions in following this call to the heights, take a good hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe. And then there's a third one. You should have personal compatibility. Compatibility. What is their family background? What is their level of ambition? What is their education? What is the level of their education? What are their communication skills? What are their expected roles? What are their views and desires concerning children? What are their conflict resolution skills? Friends, it would absolutely astound you how many times that I've sat down for premarital counseling over the years, and I've, I've officiated, uh, I, I've lost count. I'm, I'm, I'm safe to uh, estimate a couple of hundred weddings in my ministerial career. And how many times when I would ask just some basic questions, uh, uh, how many children are you planning on having? And the date's set, the DJ's reserved, reception halls reserved, and they look at each other saying, well, we really never talked about it. Seriously? I, uh, I got saved on May the 18th, 1975. Back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I was 25 years old. And um, my pastor, Robert M. Varner, was an amazing mentor. He was such a man of the word. And a lot of the ways that I approach the word, deliver the word, dig into the word, I have picked up from him as I just watched him do himself for about five years as I sat under his ministry. I'll never forget the day he got up and announced the title of his sermon one Sunday morning. And it was literally this, I'll never forget it. Obviously I didn't forget it because I remembered it when putting this message together. The title of the message was this, when a daughter of God marries a son of the devil, she is going to have father-in-law problems. A little corny, but it works. (laughs) <laughs> 44 years later, and I still remember it. So a while may be true. You've heard opposites attract, right? So some of you guys know Nancy and I fairly well, and you know the word different, right? The word different is night and day, you know? Uh, and so opposites do attract. But also remember the oil and water scenario. They don't mix. Oh, they'll look like they're mixing when you keep stirring the jar. But the moment you stop stirring, it separates. To have real compatibility, ladies and gentlemen, we need three things, and I'll close with this. A willingness to adapt. Friends, rigidity in a relationship can be deadly. Flexibility is a must. I use a lot of uh, movie clips in my teaching. I teach five times a week at this this time of year, about five times a week, sometimes of the year more. And I'm always using movie clips to illustrate because it gives people, especially men, you know, my primary audiences most of the time are men in rescue missions, a Jubilee aftercare, uh, Lebanon County Day Reporting Center, New Covenant Christian School with 8th to 12th grade boys. And of course, my Y program at the Y on Tuesday nights from September to March. Because it helps guys to take a breath and, and a break from just hearing somebody lecture and allow themselves to feel as they watch. I don't know, but maybe you, maybe you when I watched that scene from, from uh, uh, you know, the castaway where he loses Wilson, I mean, there is a humorous side to that, but there's also a sad side. If you watch the whole movie, you get it. You get why he's so sad. It's the only person he knew for four years, and it wasn't even a person. One of the movies I show clips from is called Moneyball. Moneyball was based on a true stories about baseball, and you guys like baseball you 'd love that movie and Billy Bean was a promising up and coming baseball star, and they drafted him right out of high school and he never really amounted to much professionally he just was never never figured it out, but he winds up working for the oakland a s uh, organization out in California uh, as their general manager and uh, uh, th- just to encapsulate a little bit this this uh, this movie clip, I'm not going to show you the movie clip, but what I'm going to quote him. He found a new way to recruit and build teams that didn't involve spending gazillions of dollars on the big star to come to the town, right? Because he had a small market with Oakland A's compared to the Boston Red Sox or New York Yankees. Their budget was three or four times as big as his, right? So you can't compete. So... The scouts that have worked for that organization for years were having a real hard time coming up with this this new computer model that allowed them to pick the team based on who can get on base, not who was, you know, fun to watch and was awesome to watch, but just were able to get on base more than anybody else. The guy was pushing back at Billy Bean, and at one point, Billy Bean says, dude, adapt or die. Love that quote. I don't know if Billy Bean actually said that. I know it's in the movie. But adapt or die. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, and I think the reference is in your notes, but not the scripture. Listen to this. Work at living in peace with everyone. Somebody say work at. Somebody say work at better. Work at. Who said better? Better. <laughs> Work at living in peace with everyone, and work at. Oh my gosh! One, two, three. All right, you guys are awesome. Work at living a holy life. So work at living in peace with everyone, and work at living a whole life, holy life. For those who are not holy, will not see the Lord. So I'm, um, the Lord dropped. That's I mean I've uh, I've read that scripture, preached from that scripture. I don't know how many times, you know, I've, I've, my wife was doing the math the other day. I preached about 10,000 sermons in 42 years, 44 years of, uh, 42 years of ministry. A couple of them were pretty good. <laughs> the rest of them, I don't know why they're in a box downstairs. What am I saving them for? Maybe for Tinder for my fireplace. I don't know. Work at living a holy life for those who, so the first half of that verse encourages compromise, right? Work at living in peace. Give and take. Don't be rigid. Don't say there are two ways of looking at this the wrong way and my way. Somebody didn't get that. There are two ways of looking at this the wrong way and my way. The second half of that verse reminds us that we all should have a list of non negotiables. Things we won't compromise. So th- th- that verse means we should be adaptable, but there are two exceptions. When someone expects you to do what you know is clearly wrong, don't compromise. Stand your ground. Secondly, when you are forbidden by someone to do what you know is right in the eyes of God and God is calling you to do, for instance, no compromise. But aside from that, you've got to be flexible. One of the things that makes... The marriage that I enjoy with my bride, Nancy, for over 50 years now, is that we have learned how to be flexible. And I've stopped trying to change her and she's stopped trying to change me. And we're flexible. But both of us know that we each have a non-negotiable that we're not gonna move on. So we don't even bother going there. There's a second thing, emotional maturity. I'm going to be very blunt right here, um, but I think I'm okay. I'm not going to use foul language or anything, but I'm going to just say this. Ladies, don't marry a guy who simply wants a mom with benefits. Think you understand what I mean? Most of you ladies here, and I'm not going to broad brush stroke every female in the world with this, but most of the women I have met in my lifetime had an amazing nurturing instinct. But it's to be used on children not husbands. I had a lady tell me the other day right here from Lifeway, I have two boys and a husband. I have three children. That's what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, listen to this. That's that chapter where those of you that get married, more than likely, there's a high probability factor that Persians of 1 Corinthians 13 will show up in your wedding ceremony. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love it, I am a resounding gong and and whatever it says there. But in verse 11, Paul said this, amazing. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. So in order for a relationship to work, Any relationship, but especially a husband and wife, a future husband and wife relationship, you have to put away your childish needs to be right all the time and to be coddled to and cared for and pampered and always get your way. You got to grow past that or it's not going to work. And then the last one, effort, effort, effort. Romans 14 and 19, so then make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. Ladies and gentlemen, they don't call marriage an institution for nothing. Man, tough crew. Marriage is a lifelong commitment between two people that are guaranteed to disappoint one another. This past July the 12th, Nancy has already said, Nancy and I celebrated our 50th anniversary. I think it was the, uh, I don't know, the Saturday after our anniversary, might have been the 13th. Uh, our kids threw us a party and we, we had a beautiful time together. We had surprise people. Uh, people surprised us from far away to came to share. With people we pastored uh, almost 40 years ago uh, showed up to honor us in our anniversary and it was just a beautiful day. We just had such a good time. And uh, one of the people that haven't seen us much, I mean, we stay in contact through Facebook and Christmas cards and stuff like that, but uh, haven't seen us for a while in person, pulled my wife and I aside and said, in front of a bunch of people, saying, all right, Nancy Sable, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know you're a woman of God, so you're not going to lie to me. <laughs> she said, what's that? I want the truth, in 50 years of being married to Steve, you never, ever once thought about divorcing him. She didn't hesitate. She said, nope, not even once. Murder several times. She said, anybody that knows my Nancy, that's Nancy, right? I gave you a lot to think about tonight. It's been like trying to take a drink from a, the end of a wide open fire hose. A lot of stuff gets blown past. So I, when I was praying today about how we were going to land this aircraft, I feel like we need to go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 for one more time and close here. You are complete in him. I want to leave you with this challenge. Perfect that in your life. Perfect that. Work on finding your completeness in Christ. And one day, God will favor you with a man or a woman, you know, depending on if I'm talking to the man, you know, you got to be really specific these days. Who is also complete in him. Yeah, I'm, there's, there's, there's this desire to be wed. The Bible tells us that it's built in the original equipment according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. But you're not doing it because you're needy and you don't have a life and you need somebody to complete you, to take care of you. You're doing it because you take your completeness and marry it together with someone else's completeness. And then you wind up with something that's supernaturally Amazing two are better than one three-stranded cord is not easily broken i think that's what we're going to end tonight so can we all stand for a moment am i to close this out gary am i supposed to okay let me do the invitation let's bow our heads for prayer father god i just pray that as we wrap this up tonight that your holy spirit would Seal it all up together, just kind of weave all the pieces together so it makes some kind of sense in our minds and our hearts and our souls and our spirits. I want every one of us here today to be on a journey, to find our completeness in you. Yeah, we long for fellowship. We long for romance. We long for family life. We long for marriage. That's a healthy appetite, but not from some sense of being incomplete. Jesus, we are complete in you, and I'm going to work on that. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you repeat after me this little prayer, please? Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I thank you for First Friday and the time we've spent in your presence. Thank you for your word. May it find a faithful resting place in me. Jesus, help me to find total completeness in you. And once I find that, lead me to that other person who also is totally complete in you. And we can join our completeness together. And experience the supernaturally amazing. In Jesus' name, amen.